0: Welcome back to the Advancing Man Project show. I'm here today with Les Raymond, who we have connected over fitness and strength-related things. Les is, uh, he owns a gym or, or operates a gym in Maryland, and he's also um, well-versed in various meditation practices. He runs the Mindful Movement podcast, and his website is the themindfulmovement.com. So we connect on a number of different areas, strength meditation and mindfulness. And of course, Les has some children. We're going to talk about some some parenting related stuff. Les, I appreciate you being on the show. I was on your show. Uh, We recorded an episode recently. You're returning the favor for me today. I'm very grateful for that and welcome.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you having me, Dave. And I'm really excited for your new venture in this uh, podcast direction. I do have to make an early correction. I I co-run the uh, Mindful Movement. My wife is a as a major role in the Mindful Movement platform, okay. Sarah. So I have to give her credit for sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The podcast, I've been uh, managing podcasts for the last few years.
0: Very cool. Uh, well, I, I appreciate you doing that. And I'm sure that your wife does too. So let's let's absolutely give credit where it's due. Um, just real quick from the front end. Um, we talked about a little bit on your show, but um, that was more you asking me questions. This is going to be more me asking you questions. So tell me a little bit about your background, your journey and how you got to where you are now.
1: Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess I'll try to keep this a little bit relevant to where I think the uh, conversation will ultimately go. Sure. But um, my, my parents split up when I was pretty young, which is pretty common for people in my generation. Uh, divorce rate's super high, but around four or five years old, uh, they split up um, for reasons I wasn't aware of at the time. And um, I didn't know then, of course, at that age, what kind of effect that would have on me. But uh, later on, I learned that I developed certain actions and behaviors, I guess that were born out of belief systems that my subconscious created, probably in an effort to help me survive the human experience Um, and those you know, those manifested in a lot of, I don't know, maladapted habits, Uh, started drinking at a very early age, uh, started doing drugs at a fairly early age, did them quite regularly for a while. And, um, and then eventually, I, I was lucky enough to have exercise be I guess an on-ramp of some sort into personal development, self-development, personal growth. And it was funny, I used to be uh, quite heavy. I mean, I went after probably sophomore year of high school, I didn't do any exercise. I wrestled for a couple years. And then it wasn't until I had my first child or, or while my wife was pregnant with our first child, in 2003, that, um, which would have been like 10 years later, was the first moment I felt the need to, that I had to do something. After basically just sitting around and drinking and drugging for 10 years. And um, my wife signed me up for a 5k. And that was my, my on ramp. And she did it kind of deceitfully. And normally I would have been really upset. Somebody, you know, like people trying to control my life. Right. But deep down, I knew, you know, I was 240 or just shy of 240 pounds at the time. Um, None of it was muscle.
0: And
1: and I had a child on the way. Right. And things were starting to change in my mind about what's important. And um, having my dad, you know, leave at an early age, I knew somewhere deep down, like, I wasn't going to do that. Like, all the pain and suffering that was born out of, um, of having like that broken home environment, as a young child, it like, it, it forged Beliefs that were like the flip side of the coin, like the things that I wanted to do different, even though at that time, I don't even think I could articulate it. Right. I just my, um, you know, I knew somewhere. So I didn't get mad at her and I just showed up and I went out for a run, made it like half mile. It was absolute misery, Um, was sore, beat up couple days later did it again and every other day i just went out there and a month or two later i ran the 5k and um i made some progress in many aspects like i lost probably 10 pounds i felt a little bit better um and i was afraid to lose progress so i looked at the racing calendar and found another race like a month later and i just signed up and i did this for like seven years i became a little bit of obsessed where i just always had a race on the calendar because out of fear of stopping. And I did hundreds of running races, a few dozen triathlons, and along the way um, got introduced to some really uh, important minds in like the fitness world, a lot of really impressive manual therapists, which gave me insight to how the body works in a a way that I would have never imagined before. And then got introduced to um, Strong first at the, at the time RKC went through some of their certifications and workshops. Had hooked up with some really um, really exceptional coaches local in my area, and um, and and my mother in law around in two thousand four opened up a yoga and Pilates studio in our mm-hmm. in the town. So I had was getting a um, kind of a robust spectrum of inputs into my system around movement, fitness, exercise, um, and became a bit of um, a generalist, if you will, and really appreciating the, um, the principles around that and look, and, um, and then along the way, got introduced to, you know, the self-help aisle of bookstores, Right. And that genre did a lot of good for me. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of there's a lot of stuff in that aisle, but a lot of it is really useful. You know, there's a lot of tools and, you know, how do you want to use the tool, I guess, could be applied. But um, somehow uh, in 2016, I found a way to quit drinking. And then that changed a, a lot for me. That opened my eyes to really like why I was drinking and learned a lot about myself in that process. It's interesting, like when you're drinking regularly and it's this companion that helps you soothe whatever is the underlying thing that you need the drink for, like you don't really recognize why you're doing it. Like, at that point, you're not, you know, you don't, it's, it's a blurred line. Like you don't think that you're doing it just to catch a buzz. Right. Or like you might think that you're doing it just to catch a buzz, but there's so many reasons that you've built that habit as some kind of survival mechanism on some level to help you cope. So when you take it away, it's like an opportunity to, see you know why was i drinking and that's when i learned more about my childhood and how it impacted me like i remember even shortly after i quit drinking being able to see the moment where i was on my doorstep and my dad had a suitcase and being confused and like seeing myself as a confused child like why where is he going right and at the time, you know you just, I have talked about this on, on my podcast a few times, like you don't you don't know at that age, because of the way the brain develops, you're you don't have that executive function. You don't have the ability to say, "I see what's going on here." My mother and father have a toxic relationship, and they don't know how to show their love to each other or communicate or grow or whatever. The subconscious mind just, feels um you know something's wrong with me. I'm not good enough for my fa- I'm not worthy of my father's love. If I was worthy of his love, he wouldn't be leaving. Right. And then that, you know, you those beliefs will surely encourage some self-sabotage because you're gonna you're gonna live a life, your your actions and behaviors will will justify your worth. So if you don't think you're worth much you'll treat yourself that way, whether it be drugs, alcohol, you know, whatever addictions, any kind of things to kind of keep you down.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to that point. Um, you said earlier that you're, you created these maladaptive habits, drinking, doing drugs and all that. And you can trace that back directly to, uh, the dysfunction in the, the, your parents' relationship. Obviously it wasn't your fault. And you understand that intellectually and it takes you a while to get that. I'm curious, do you think those maladapted habits came about as a result of your parents ability or inability or whatever level of ability that they had to communicate what was going on to you as a four or five-year-old? Cause I, you know, I know, cause, cause th- th- there are a lot of people that I talk to that like they're in, in bad relationships and probably the best thing for everyone is for that relationship to end and them to figure out how to co-parent and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the, the innocent person, the only innocent person in that is the child. And they wind up, you know, very often bearing the brunt of it. I think because a lot of times, Oh, they're just a kid. They're three, four, five years old. They're they're not really processing what's going on. They're not really aware of what's going on. But like you said, that's an executive function thing. It doesn't take into account that that's getting absorbed directly into the subconscious because there's no gatekeeper there. Right. So um, I've, I've talked to guys about how they have communicated with their, soon to be x that it minimizes the potential damage on the kid i'm wondering if you know because you're a little bit older you know we're, we're how old are you mid 40s 46 46 yeah so um you know at that age 40 years ago that wasn't something that that people talked about you know ending a relationship yeah, in a healthy way now it was just like you know screw you no screw you no this is your fault no this is your fault was was like kind of the the standard way of doing that so i'm wondering how the way that your parents communicated with you about what was going on affected you, or if you know.
1: I think. Well, mm. at, it's funny because they they both had this habit of, I don't want to say anything bad about your father, but dot dot dot, and you know, vice versa. Um, you know, they weren't educated on the stuff that generation. They, You know, the aisle in the self-help column or, was very small <laughs> in that <laughs> generation. You know, there wasn't an awareness. And, it, you know, on some level, it's just impossible not to screw up your kids. Because they're, you know, they're working with the tools that they had. And you could only do the best you can do at the time with the tools you have at the time. And all the trauma that they had from their childhood is built in to not just what wrecked their relationship, but to how they can communicate to me and my sisters about what was going on then. So it was already so stressful for them. And my father was an alcoholic, so which Mm. makes you disengage, you know, that's an aspect of it. So he wasn't gonna be uh, skilled and he ha- he had his skills and I've gotten some uh, amazing lessons from him. Um, but he wasn't going to be skilled at communicating to me um, what was going on or really his love for me. Now, m- my mom was always very good and women are probably just naturally better at this to some degree of, of just expressing love in a more unconditional way. And um, my mother has... Um, has always been able to provide that, which has been really important I think for, for me. And, but like at the time, but, but again, like I re- referenced earlier, like there's this flip side of the coin. So my father's inability to be able to convey his love to me, which I know now he has, but he didn't have the tools for his intention to be perceived by my subconscious.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand what you mean
1: in in that way that became something that was important to me and it haunts me. And I, sc- I feel like I screw up at this all the time. Like I feel like this is one of my biggest failures and it's one of the most important things to me. It's like my biggest fear in life is my kids, not knowing how much I love them because I'm just so bad at, communicating the way. Now, sometimes we'll say something that reassures me like, oh, I'm not screwing up. Like I have to give myself some credit. I have to cut myself some slack. Um, because I'll ask a question and it's out of love, but the tone in my voice could be heard like it's in judgment. Like I want the answer to the question a certain way. Mm-hmm. So these things from this aspect that I went through where The communication I got from my father wasn't what I needed at the time, led me to turn around and look at my kids and at least have the intention, even if I wasn't highly skilled at it yet, I'm still working on it, but to have the intention to get good at that. Like one thing that was really common, because I got in trouble a lot when I was a kid, like fights in school and like I would always just get in trouble, like shoplifting, nothing like serious. I mean, I, I got arrested for drug related things. I guess that was like more serious, like now wouldn't be even a crime. But back then it was crime. So, um, you know, that was like trouble. But all through like teenage years, lots of little bouts of trouble. And there was this pattern that would develop where that was a time where I felt like I needed my father to run towards me and be like the first one in line mm-hmm. and his habit, which I can't judge him now for because I know it's born in, born out of all the unresolved trauma that he's been through. He has not had it easy in life. There's a reason he was alcoholic. Um, So, like because he would he di- he would run away so like at the time that I needed him the most I felt he would disengage and he would revert to this I'm I'm too mad at you to talk to you that was his his pattern that he developed that in hmm. some way helped him cope with that moment but it was the opposite of what I felt I needed but what that led me to do is when my son would get in trouble, it allowed me to run to him and make it very clear. There's no action or behavior that you can do that could jeopardize, penetrate, breach the, the love that you, uh, that me and your mother have for you. Right. Like, I remember an in incidents, we were, um, my son got uh he kind of like scammed online and he was a young teenager he was maybe like 10 or 12 and he was really embarrassed and hesitant like he had asked if he could buy something i think online Mm -hmm. didn't do his due diligence he was just you know young kid and we okayed it and it, it went bad for him and he he got like taken advantage of and he was really embarrassed and eventually we think you know figured out like what happened and he like fessed up and i saw like he was like shivering on the verge of tears telling him and i I saw like shame yeah and guilt and i know personally dealing with like shame and guilt it's the it's the worst you know they're like the lowest frequencies to be living your life on totally and i still deal with them they haunt me make a lot of progress a lot of road in front of me still to do but i saw it in my son and it terrified me but because of all the lessons I got from my father, even though they were the flip side of the coin lessons, I was able to be right there and hug him like this doesn't this is like so not important. And let him feel like, first of all, it wasn't his fault. He got scammed. You know, you get a kid. Um so th- you know, there, even though they weren't good to your, you know, circling back to your question, they weren't really skilled at communicating what was going on with them at the time. Like there's, there was so much awakening to gather, to gain from those challenges, that suffering. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm really grateful for those things because, you know, I've heard, you know, not quite like the motivational speaker, but I, I've heard motivational speakers talk about, you know, you could either win or learn, like have that right. mentality. And you know, that took a while for me. I was good at being resentful uh, and passing blame for a good portion of my life. But now, like I've gotten very good at seeing these things from my past and really learning to be grateful for what they've they've been able to provide for me mm-hmm. um as far as just trying to navigate you yeah. know the the dance of the human experience which is which is not easy i don't think it was meant to be easy but,
0: you but, mentioned um, you mentioned earlier about shame and guilt and that being like low frequencies to live on so um i'm going to use that as an opportunity to go a little bit woo woo here as we talk about it right oh um, woo
1: woo away man
0: woo woo away um i sure. uh, i read a quote from an author named Mitch Horowitz. I don't know if you're familiar with Mitch's work or not, um, but Mitch is, um, he's an authority on all things related to like metaphysics and occult practices. He's a historian who writes books who's also on the path is like the way he describes himself. And he's written a lot of stuff about Neville Goddard. He's written a lot of stuff about Napoleon Hill and various others like that. And one of the 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 things that I was reading, he was talking about, Napoleon Hill and the subconscious mind and and how our thoughts enter into our subconscious mind and we have to we either can we use the conscious mind to either consent with an incoming thought or to reject an, an incoming thought and that's also true in the way that we broadcast so it's like there's there's you know past 15 years or so 20 years there's been like this this whole law of attraction thing that floats around in the ethers and and it's greatly misunderstood and I think of it in terms of it's it's all vibration and it's either what am i what am i attracting versus what am i radiating and those things are always going to be in harmony right and so he was talking about napoleon hill in reference to the subconscious mind chapter in think and grow rich and he summed up napoleon hill's um bit in there about letting go and and not harboring resentment and learning from you know and especially towards ourselves and and he said we book this is Mitch's quote we become what we do not forgive. And I think that is a hugely powerful statement and I think it relates directly to what you said you had all this stuff happen and it, you it's interesting to me you said that that your dad was an alcoholic so he would check out with that and then if he got any sort of unpleasant emotion going on he's too angry to talk to you right now right well what what do we know is a result of of the the toxic application of masculinity is that that you know men don't cry boys don't cry quit crying like a little girl you know like you're you're be tough don't cry all that sort of stuff well the message there is that unless it's anger or aggressiveness it's not okay for a boy or a man to experience those um unpleasant big feelings right and so how, what do we do with it then we either get angry whenever we get sad or get afraid or whatever and we be aggressive with it because if i'm aggressive i'm not i'm not vulnerable right i'm on the attack um or we numb it out and just ignore it right by by checking out or drinking, I think it's interesting that that and obviously I don't know your dad, but I know that age group, and I I know that what what culture was like for that age demographic growing up, and it was not encouraged at all for men to express feelings. You know, you 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 suck it up and you go out there and you you be a man about it, right? And and all of those cliches. So it's fascinating to me that that therein is just a graphic depiction of the pattern. This man probably by your grandparents was not allowed to express himself as a kid. Ch- kids should be seen and not heard. Right. But I have a voice. Yes. And and so, so he winds up dealing with it in the way that you described. And then because you inherited that you started drinking and using drugs at an early age, but somewhere along the way, you're like, no, this is not the way for me. This is not the way that it has to be. And you awaken to a, to a better way. Right. And so now you are very, um, adamant about, uh, about, uh, and I'm making this scenario up, but like you tell your kid, I love you. And they're like, yeah, I know, Dad. You're like, no, 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 you don't get it. I really love you. Right. Like you're unable to express it enough for them to understand it. And, and it's just, and I'm just kind of rambling and, and, and making an observation here, but yeah. I think that it's, I think, I think- it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think you might be right to some degree. I think it was a little different from my dad. You know, hmm. his father was actually a, an extremely peaceful man. But when he grew up, there was, um, he had a younger sister that was sick. And you, there was no space to cause problems. Hmm. You know, you couldn't. you couldn't make yourself seen because there was something more important there. And the other thing that stood out and he references a few times, we we reconnected after um, a while of being apart uh, a couple years ago and did a little therapy. And, um, you know, he grew up where in the house, nobody ever fought. It was very peaceful. And then he had this household where he, where it was falling apart, him and his wife, it was, were going separate ways. I had two sisters. It was, you know, there was a lot of chaos. Um, I had one sister that had a, a lot of um, kind of mental and physical issues as a young child. It was a lot for them to deal with. Um, and he wasn't used to anybody like getting angry at someone else in the household. Cause it was so different from what he grew up in. So he didn't know how to respond to that. Mm. And I think drinking probably helped him with that. Mm. So um, like he, we had this pattern where, like I said earlier, like he, when I needed him to come tour me, he'd go away. And on some level, you know, we all want to feel it fit in. We all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. And I feel like I wasn't being seen or heard because he was going away, which my response to that subconsciously is to get louder. Sure. So I would raise my voice. But that would trigger him because he grew up Where nobody raised their voice. He said, well, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to sit here and have you raise your voice at me. I'm not going to be yelled at. Which would make him go away. Which would make me want to raise my voice. So It was like cycle, pattern. And then eventually he would push far enough away where we wouldn't talk for a while. And then resentment would grow. And... And then I I would be upset because it was always me extending the olive branch to rekindle. It seemed, and I always felt like, and you're the parent; you should do that. Right. What age? Now I know, like, you didn't know how to do it.
0: Is is this teen years you're talking about here? Like, what age are you talking about?
1: I mean, this went on probably from late teens all the way to you know 40s. I mean, our Mm. biggest stint away from each other. Was just a couple years ago. And it was like a year and a half stint, which, um, you know, we only live 10 minutes away from each other. Mm-hmm. So it was tough. And I don't want to come off like I'm just ragging on the guy. Sure. Like, I love my father and he's taught me a ton of things. Un- I don't want to say unfortunately, it's, it's just that many of those things were like what I don't want to be as a father. And right. I'm grateful mm-hmm. for those lessons. And I wish he had an easier life and I wish he had the tools to do things um better but he had a a lot of bad luck and um poor information too which didn't help but there were certain things that i mean there's this one one of the most important positive lessons i've ever gotten from my father i used to like like i said they split up when i was pretty young and i would go to his house on uh saturdays to spend the night and at first it was me and my sisters and then my oldest sister kind of peeled off from that after a little bit and then the middle sister peeled off and it was just me for a while and um and he i would always have to go with him when he did his grocery shopping and i hated that i don't know why i hated it he would like embarrass me intentionally like he'd like fart in the aisle of the grocery store when there's someone there because he knew it would like be embarrassing to me It's just like a weird sense of humor. Yeah. I don't know. Um, This is what it is. But one day we walked out of the grocery store. And there was a man there that was probably in his 30s. He had a helmet on. And his, his physical body was so far from straight. He was like this defying physics that he was standing up. Right. I mean, very crooked. Uh, massive neurological condition going on. And he had two bags of groceries. And um, and I've never said this. <laughs> uh, try to, to get emotional here. Um, My dad walked up to him. He's like, do you need help? He's like, I, I need to get a ride to go home. And in a millisecond, zero hesitation. My dad just said, come on, we got you. And I remember being in the back of my dad's car with this. And I was young. I was like 10, 11, maybe with this stranger in the front seat, sitting right in front of me, helmet on. This is not something that I was used to seeing at that age. It was different. It was a stranger. And I was like scared.
0: Yeah.
1: Um you know, he couldn't be still. Very erratic movements and um and we went to this guy's house and then we helped him unpack his groceries. <laughs> and, and, and I had never been so proud of my father.
0: That's an awesome story,
1: and um, and it shaped actions and behaviors. I mean, I I run a gym in um in Maryland, and it's right next to a high school, and I um, you know, I've never as a local business owner, you get hit up a lot by mm-hmm. the school or local local entities for support, um, maybe charity-based stuff, right. donations or whatever. And they asked one year to help, um, with these, with special needs program. And I didn't, you know, the business is never, <laughs> people don't get in the fitness business for the money. Um, wasn't a lot of extra there, but I was lenient with my, time. I felt like that was kind of more valuable of a resource anyway. So I offered my time to help if they had any special needs kids that needed like a place to come to, to um to learn, to exercise, to get help. And a lot of these kids were really unhealthy. So the school took that as an opportunity to try to help them. So I worked with kid and like every year they would send me hook me up with one or two new special needs kids this program and they called it a work program they were trying to place them with work i didn't really have work it was a tiny gym like you could wipe right. the whole gym down in 10 minutes or full thousand five minutes whatever so that but they had to place them for like an hour and a half so they would do like 10 minutes of work but then i would work with them and coach them and we built relationships and i built you know relationships with their families and um you know there's no way that that happens without that moment, right at the supermarket with my father. So um, you know, it's important it's always been important for me when I'm thinking about him or a relationship where we're working on it, you know, like I said, we did about therapy recently to have the context and like keep that in mind. like this is the person that had that in him because it can be quick to say, you could get so quick to be to throw shit, you know, to just yeah. sling it. You did this, and you know, when this happened 20 years ago, you did this. Right. It would have be better if you did did it this way. So um, you know, like, like I said, it's it's like impossible to to not mess up your kids on some level because who's perfect? Like you gotta get really lucky with who your parents are. Yeah to be really good at parenting i mean there ain't there's no education for it luckily right. mother nature gave us a 9 month you know period to try to figure some things out right nobody's really ready you know <laughs> you know that might help you get a room ready but um, you don't yeah. you don't understand you don't understand what it means to really love someone else if you, until you have that first child definitely you don't understand what the weight of the responsibility really feels like until you're there
0: yeah and i think it's important uh so much of the of the conversations that happen um have to do with uh um the trauma that happened and and how that trauma or those those negative experiences shape us and what we have to do to overcome that but you know, all of us are imperfect. All of us have our flaws. And if that's true, which it is, if all of us have flaws, then all of us must also have some good quality, right? Uh, the, the opposite has to be true as well. There, there can't be all good or all bad or all flawed or all perfect. And so I, I think it brings a, a really remarkable and uncommon level of self awareness from you to be able to look at the situation and say, okay, my parents had this relationship. This was my dad's coping skill of pulling away when I needed him. That affected me negatively. That played out like this. But also, my dad was kind and generous to this man who needed help in this moment. And as a result of that, the 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 proverbial ripple that comes from the pebble in that pond is how many kids from the school near your gym have benefited from being able to come into your gym and and get that confidence boost and get the, you know, just, just have that human experience with you that, as you said, would have never happened had your dad not helped that man that day. So, and
1: and to be able to show, to tell, teach my kids the importance of, you know, kindness towards people that maybe, you know, aren't as, aren't as lucky. Sure. Uh,
0: Sure. Um, so having said all that, um, Uh, I think I told you before that that I kind of keep a a few questions off to the side to kind of guide things. I want to, I want to ask you one of these questions here. Um, what is your fundamental principle or principles for being a dad? And I also, I don't think I ask you how old your kids are. I know you said that
1: right now, my son is, uh, 17, going to be 18, in a few months. My daughter's just turned 20 recently.
0: So you've had, you've, you've been at it for a while. Um, so what is your fundamental principle then for being a father?
1: Well, fundamental principle. Um, I don't know if I have one fundamental principle, but there's definitely some things like I've meditated on this stuff mm-hmm. many, many, many times over the years. And there's certain things that stand out to me over the years. I think that I use as maybe an anchor. in in some way one thing is to remember that they're not yours you know I i see a lot of parents treat their kids as if it's a ownership relationship um making or like forcing what a lot of choices a lot of decisions on them based on what they want their kid mm-hmm. to be, or, and I, I think that ultimately backfires.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> I think
1: you have to recognize that they're they're not yours. You're. It was a gift that you got to play a role. It, it's it's an honor to be a part of their journey. That you played a role in them entering existence. And yeah, in some ways you need to put up guardrails because um, you, you want them to make mistakes but you don't want them to make dangerous mistakes and impose harm on themselves that is too much to come back from. At the same time, like you, you want them to discover things are so much more powerful when you discover them on your own. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, it's all, it's common for us to see something our, our child is doing and thinking that they're off track. And we can only control so much. Like you have, you could put in these underlying parameters, which is really love. Like you could infuse love and the best advice you can based on, you know, the tools you have. But then you have to let go. I, I related to archery a little bit. Uh, have you ever practiced archery?
0: A little bit, yeah. I'm not okay, super skilled at okay,
1: so it. I'm a relatively new hunter and archer. I've been doing a handful of years. And one thing I notice, especially as I get farther from the target, which I didn't know prior to practicing was how far the arrow moves away from the target on its path to the target. So you have all these parameters that you could control up front and you have your, your process, um, to get in position, you know, your foot stance, your breath, your mindset, the, um, balance of tension and, relaxation in your musculature, whatever. You have your sight on the target, but then you have to release. And it's like your child, you have to release and they're going to go. And it's not always going to look like they're going to the target. Right. But if you infuse real love, there's a really good chance it's going to be heading in that direction but there's going to be times where it looks like it's outside the path and that area, when it flies, it goes way outside and comes back and hones in towards a target. And I think that happens in life. Like, cause kids have to, so they, they get to this point where the parent lets go more and more. Like there's not a lot of letting go on a one year old. They're so dependent. Right. But when they hit, you know, eight, nine, 10, you're letting go more and more. And then 12, 13, they're, you know, riding bikes with their friends, there's no parents around. And and then when they're you know 17, my son he'll he'll go to a concert in the city with his friend. You know, you're you're really you don't have control. Right. You're out there. My daughter flies to Miami and goes to dancing conferences by herself or goes to Columbia, South America like I'm totally out of control. And it's there's a helplessness that comes with that. Hmm. But um so there's going to be those those moments and there's going to be times where it looks like what they're doing is really off track. And when I say off track of just like what serves them well, but it it comes back. Um, and I think that's an important concept to think of. So I don't know. That's not really, I don't know if there's a principle around that other than like the letting go aspect, I guess that's like a principle but um I think
0: well, that I, I actually see a principle in there and and I think that one of the skills that I cultivated through years of coaching with people and stuff is is particularly it started with movement right and and, and you've been in the movement business long enough you can watch someone walk around or or do a particular movement and you just automatically know okay here's how we're going to address that to improve it right um what i heard you say there um with your brilliant archery metaphor is that success comes in in the foundational setup mm-hmm. and you you make the plan you control all the variables that you can control as early as possible and then you let it go and if you did all of that well you're more likely to for for the arrow which is its own independent thing you know you know metaphorically speaking to hit the target that was intended rather than to go off in the woods somewhere or to, to, you know, hit a rock and break or, or whatever. So uh, the principle that, that I hear you describing there is create a strong foundation and be consistent in that foundation. And then that will maximize the likelihood that things turn out the way that you hope they turn out. Right, yeah, i'm I'm really fond of um of saying, um, uh, because I, I don't I don't do like punishments or I don't you, know, or shaming or any of that sort of stuff with my son, and he's five, and I know you're you're you know decades ahead of me on that, but um, if he has an emotion, if he has an experience, um I believe that that I cannot help him regulate an emotion. If I don't allow him to experience that emotion, like you said earlier, it's 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 you learn it for yourself. Right. And so when when we're playing a game of sorry and it looks like he's going to lose and he gets really upset and he wants to to quit and he wants to trade teams and all that sort of stuff. I let him feel that. And then after he his body has come back to a more neutral place, we talk about it a little bit and we talk about that's what it feels like. And and I know that in the midst of that, it can be it, it triggers me. To be like, I want him to be quiet. I don't want him to be upset. I want him to be happy. You know, with all of the stuff that that was so pervasive when I was a kid. But I'm doing him a disservice if I don't allow him to experience that because I'm not giving him the opportunity to fall down as he's learning to walk, right? And so sure. so I, I have to, in, in the midst of that, I have to remind myself that he's five now, 30 years from now, when he's experiencing something that is a, a, a truly life affecting frustration or something that's upsetting or something that's unpleasant i'm setting him up now to be able to hit the target that 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 i want him to hit and to you know to go truly to it no matter what the wind does along the way there and so i think that what you said and i it made sense to me and and i fully i fully get it you know like um it it's okay for you to be upset and here's how you can deal with that and it was interesting too um I, um, just yesterday we, we went out on my back deck and I was stepping down the steps and it's been raining and, and, you know, wet weather here and everything. And I hit that bottom step and my foot slipped and I went kaplunk and, and I landed and boom. And it kind of, it feels fine today, but it kind of, my shoulder was a little tweaky the rest of the day. And I was sitting there kind of experiencing pain. And he says, why does your face look like that? That's, that's what he almost always says to me when, when he, perceives that there's something going on with me that's not, you know, that's <laughs> not really pleasant. Right.
1: Just so funny. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, why does your face look like that? And I your said,
1: face,
0: Dad. Yeah. He, he, well, it's not what's wrong with you. He said, why does your face look like that? So, so, and, and I said, well, um, I'm a little bit in pain and I'm a little frustrated and I feel a little sad. He's like, well, why? And I explained to him, my shoulder was hurting a little bit and he said, I know what you can do. And I said, what he says, you can do the calm down thing where you take deep breaths it goes like this. And he starts showing me how to breathe deeply. Right. And I haven't ever said when he's upset, okay, we're going to take some deep breaths together. What I've done is when he's upset, I say, you know, when I get upset like that, sometimes I do this and I just start breathing. And he almost never does it in the moment like that. Mm -hmm. But now I can see that that seed is planted and he's, he's giving it back to me. And that was a very fulfilling moment for me. Right. And um, I don't know if you've heard this story before or not. I don't want to hijack your old conversation, but the, the first time he ever asked me why my face looked like that was he was, was he three or four? He was, I guess he was, had just turned four and it was my dad's birthday. His birthday's in October. And my dad's birthday is December and my dad passed away in 2020. So he must've been, he must've been four. It just turned four. And one like bizarre thing that, that the way my brain works is dates get imprinted in there very easily. And an emotional, like feeling nostalgic type thing will get imprinted with it at the same time. And so it was my dad's birthday and, I'm feeling it. Right. And I'm like listening to some audio and watching some old videos of him and stuff like that. And just kind of reflecting on it. And my, and I'm sad. And my son comes up to me and says, why does your face look like that? And I'm like, I've got two choices I can make right here. I can go with this initial urge that I have to say, I'm fine. Nothing. I'm okay. Or I can turn this into a moment where I'm, I'm exercising what is one of my fundamental principles. Like my underlying principle is, can I find a way in every single interaction that I have with him to leave him better off than he was before that interaction, which is a huge undertaking, but I committed to it before I was born. Right. And so I said, I, I have to tell him this. And so I said, well, I'm feeling sad. And that's why my face looks like this. He says, why are you sad? And I said, well, today is my daddy, your grandpa's birthday. He, My son was 18 months old when he died. He really doesn't have a memory of him, but he can identify him in photos. Um, and I'm just thinking about him. I'm kind of sad because he's not here. And I spend maybe maybe a minute, 90 seconds kind of explaining this. And by the time I'm done, tears and snot, you know, I'm I've just I've opened up and there it is. And I'm vulnerable and I'm showing him this. And he goes, Okay. Heads off on his own to go do whatever. Right. And and I realized that what I did there in that moment was I showed him how a grown man can experience grief and express it in a healthy way and share it with another person and open up and be vulnerable. And that was the takeaway. Even if he didn't recognize it in the moment, I know that, you know, 50 years from now, when I'm gone, if he's going through the same sort of thing, that moment took root, even if he doesn't remember it. So it's the same kind of thing that you're talking about, right? It's, 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 these formative years are the setup. Am I, am I, Am I, is my positioning right? You know, is the arrow full back fully? Am I relaxed when I let go of it? Am I factoring in for the wind and the, or the lack of wind or whatever, you know? So I appreciate you saying that. And it, it, and it connected with me for sure.
1: Yeah. And you get to mess up a lot. Like you <clears> put a lot of pressure on yourself <laughs> and say, I'm going to have every interaction, you know, leave them better off. I mean, <clears throat> you're destined to fail sometimes. <laughs> sure. sure. so You have to cut yourself some slack. Um, on some level it's like they're they're here to teach us just as much as you know we're here to teach them
0: well and and sometimes the only thing that the only um way that i can accomplish that of leaving him better off is to show him what it looks like for a man to make a mistake and forgive himself
1: right yeah and i'm okay
0: with that you know
1: which is not an easy thing forgiveness is a but you know, like
0: Is just about anything else, it gets easier the more you practice it. the 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 more you realize that that internal dialogue of just beating yourself up doesn't do anybody any good ever, ever. Um, and you're like, "Yep, yeah, I made a mistake. <clears throat> I'm gonna forgive myself and move on and not do it again if I can help it." So
1: yeah, it takes a good amount of awareness. I mean, I see very commonly people around me. Um, they don't have that level of awareness.
0: Yeah, but, you know, for sure. Uh,
1: which which think, that's
0: go ahead. Finish finish your sentence. I think
1: that's just um in general not as common as it it would be not not as common as it needs to be in society. I well, guess.
0: we all want to be right all the time, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And, and 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 at the 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 manifestation of that is almost always uh you know what's wrong with the world today? <laughs> right no one ever follows that up with all of the bad thoughts and and the dumb shit that I do for myself. That's what's wrong with the world today. No one ever follows it up with that. It's always something out there that if all those people, if they, whoever they are would just agree with me, everyone would be happy, but you know, that, that doesn't hold up to scrutiny, obviously. And um, I'm going to use that as a, as a pivot point to go back to ask you another question, Um, unless you had something else you wanted to say on that. And then I'll go ahead. You mentioned earlier that you discovered the self-help section and that, that, that radically affected you. What, what books or teachers or information or programs related to personal development or self-help have had a big impact on you? Like who are some of your favorite authors? Um, Oh
1: man, that's a a long list. I mean, I was in the, I had went through like an obsession phase for a while. Um, Well, the first one, I wouldn't say I had the biggest impact, but it was like my first entryway. We have a uh, a sauna in our house and it came, has like a CD player,
0: uh huh,
1: dating the sauna for you. Um, I don't even think CD players are putting anything out, but um,
0: for the younger folks who are listening, a CD is this
1: <laughs> disc that stores information. On young, it. <laughs> that's so, um, do you
0: remember when CD players for music were like 800 bucks?
1: <laughs> I, I don't, uh. I'm sure they were, but um, yeah. So I don't know whose CD it was. It wasn't mine. It might have been my 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 mother in law's, but it was Eckhart Tolle's. Uh, I want to say Power of Now, like book on CD. It was like mm-hmm. six CDs, and I popped it in just to use the CD player. I think like I didn't even know if we'll, I was seeking what was on the book. It was more like I'm in this box. And I want to listen to something. right? And um, I put it in and it started to change the way I thought about the world. And this is at the same time where I was going, I was starting a yoga practice and there's something about practicing yoga that there's a lot of working inward. Um, You know, it's a little bit more of a working in than working out on some levels, you know, depending upon how it's practiced. And the combination of those two things in my life at the same time um, had a synergy, I guess, Mm -hmm. but let's see some books that stood out. There was a book that I think was a turning point for me called emotional chaos to clarity by Philip Moffat, that my wife, Sarah had read and then recommended and that helped me. And I think one of the reasons that that had a big impact on me is because I read it at such a troubled time. Um, So it was just like the thing I needed at a time where I really needed it and that was helpful.
0: And how how far back are we going here with this? 20 years?
1: Yeah, so that phase was basically probably 2004. You know, uh, well, a little later than that. What am I talking about? Um, that was probably more like 2009. Well, I started yoga, practicing yoga probably 2004 and then started getting into the self-help books probably around 2008, 2009. And then... Um, I mean, we have bookshelves all over the house. A lot of them is too much. I, I wish I would have prepared for that. But <laughs> um, you know, I've read a lot of a lot of things that just kind of merged. That uh, merged some of the ancient wisdoms with how do you live today? Like how do you extract from these older lessons to today? So things maybe around Buddhism or. Um, and then, you know, one thing that stood out to me, and I'm, um, which is, I don't know if I would call it a self help book, but a book that had a big impact on um, not just my life, but the way I approached work and really reshaped the way I program for clients at my gym was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. That might be my favorite all time book. Um, but I I guess I wouldn't necessarily put that in the self-help category but I oh you know Wayne Dyer was a guy I read a lot of early on too just a lot of stuff where it was a lot of positive messaging really Mm -hmm. like I was at a phase where I was very well practiced at negative thoughts and then Mm -hmm linking negative thought cycles together. So I needed um, like a pattern interruption interrupter there. And I think listening to um, just people that sounded like they had a love in their voice and they had positive things to say, and they were like, Hey, there's a lot of ways to look at the world and they don't all have to be this negative way. Like you could look at these things this way. Like, if I only have a moment with a client and I'm trying to express, like, how powerful mindset can be. If you imagine you're, if we were both in line at a pizza shop and maybe it was, you know, world's best pizza. And it was a really long line because it's, you know, world's best pizza. And we were both there. Which is a bold claim. (laughs) Okay, Um, We're in the same environment. We're in the same situation, and you could easily be like, oh, this is ridiculous. This is going to take forever. I can't believe how long this line is, and I could be like, this is amazing. I can't wait to taste the world's best pizza. Like, what's the difference? We're in the same spot in line, same place, same point of time, same everything. Um, So there's a lot of ways to view, view the world. And we have a lot of say in how we view it, whether it's, you know, uh, kind of, we mentioned vibration earlier, like, is this a vibration, are you rising into a higher vibration of yourself in the way that you're showing up in the world, the way when you factor in how you're looking at this moment and perceiving everything and all the words and ideas in your mind that you're applying to it and all the judgments, um, we have a lot of say in how we see the world. And like you said, referenced earlier, it's like what you, what you practice grows stronger. So you can get better at that. But I was really bad at that for like a really long time. And I'm sure that's all born out of a lot of that childhood trauma and just chaos. And um, But I've been chipping away and practicing. And we have a lot of tools. You know, self-help books are great. Meditation is a fantastic tool. It's cheap. Everybody has access to it. And, um, you know, that's a tool that I've leaned on a lot in, in many different forms, variations to to help kind of restructure my mind a little bit to see a little bit more beauty in the world and see um, through a lens of of love more, which is yeah. made for a better life.
0: Yeah, I, I very often will use a similar analogy, but I'm not in line at a pizza shop. I'm stuck in traffic. Right. And and it it comes about from uh, having been stuck in traffic with someone who hated being stuck in traffic. And the the phrase that came out was this is the absolute worst being stuck in traffic like this. And I'm like, but is it, though? Because we're it's a hot summer day. We're in an air conditioned car. We're on our way to go. We were going to visit someone that we were looking forward to. So we're very excited to be there. And um, the car was functioning perfectly. Everyone inside the car was healthy. We knew that we were about to go have a good time and, and see people that we cared about. And I'm like, is it the absolute worst? And like, I remember the thought flashing into my mind. And I didn't actually say it because it was it was a moment for me to be contemplative, not a moment for me to to like engage because I was just starting to figure out how <coughs> the words that I speak are reflective of the thoughts that I have. And those thoughts are controlling the emotions that I have, which in turn determines the, the behaviors that I exhibit and also the vibrational frequency that I'm existing on. So I'm like sort of whirling all that around in my mind, just conceptually. If that, was, that was the phase that I was in at the moment. And I, and I remember thinking, um, being stuck in traffic is the absolute worst. And I'm like, is it really, though? Because is that worse than like little kids with cancer? Because, because that's like, to me, that's like, that's like the worst, right?
1: That's the worst. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, 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 and maybe that's not the worst, but I don't like to think about what the worst could be, but that was like the the first comparison that popped up. And, and like my initial thought, my initial impulse was to argue the point. And I realized that, that prior to, to starting to mindfully understand how my mind worked or intentionally understand how my mind worked, I I would have 100% engaged in the complaining, and so I saw that my my initial response had had shifted to where I wanted to argue for the positive, and argue against the complaint. And I'm like, that's a step in the right direction, but I'm still not where I want to be with that. If that's my initial response, is to be combative with you because you're being negative. You know, that's still this kind of thing where I'm getting in your face. So.
1: That focus on the squeaky wheel thing, like I think that's hardwired into us for a reason, and it served a really good purpose at some point. I mean, yeah. you know, we that that negativity bias that probably helped us survive a long time ago when there were a lot of maybe uh, <clears throat> unknown threats around the corner sure. that you had to be watching sure. out for, and now that characteristic that personality trait that we develop it it's just um misaligned in today's world um
0: well i i and i agree with you i think that like if we go back several several thousand years to when we were you know running around with a rock that was sharp tied on the end of a stick trying to get some dinner for the evening The, uh, one of the things that has allowed us to evolve as a species to be where we are now and enjoy the comforts and the, the conveniences that we have now is like, if I go out to hunt and I see that there's a bear or saber tooth tiger or whatever, my responsibility now is to go back and warn the others. There's impending danger out there. I have to protect the, the, the unit, the group, the tribe, the family, whatever it is, I'm going to go back and warn the others and make sure that they're safe. That's perfectly reasonable. That has allowed us to evolve to the point now that there's very, very rarely that 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 we run into a genuinely life threatening situation, right? right um especially with it just randomly occurring usually when that happens, it's a result of our own ignorance and and we've put ourselves in a situation like that but um that's still hardwired into us as a species, I think, because it's, it's so deeply rooted. It's such a part of the human condition that now it expresses itself as complaining on the internet about what the other side, the people that I don't agree with are doing and how stupid they are. Right. That's, that's, and, and so what I'm trying to do is warn the people of this wisdom that of this threat. Right. But what's actually happening is I'm just posting stuff on the internet looking for people to agree with me or actually looking, looking for people to agree with me about what I disagree with, you know? And, and, yeah, I'm, I think, and I'm real fond of saying that no one ever complained their way to ultimate success and no one ever thanked their way to ultimate failure. So
1: I think a lot of um, yeah. a lot of the like patterns that we have as adults that don't serve us well are, Are traits that we developed at an early age that once served us well. It helped us survive something that we needed when we were younger. But then we never got the awareness to say, oh, I don't need that part of me to do that anymore. I don't want to throw that part of me away. That's me. I want to love that part and take it but let's redirect it so that it could be useful. Like we're all addicts. It's just, what are you addicted to? So like, even if you, you know, I, I mean, I've quit opiate. I've been, I was hooked on opiates for years, cocaine for a few years, alcohol for over 20 years. I mean, quit a lot of drugs and um, a lot of history of addiction. And, you know, you could argue that I'm addicted to like exercise now or cooking good food. Right. I mean, I get just as obsessed about that stuff. So it's like, you know, you can, the same thing that if I if, if I didn't have the awareness to say, let me repurpose this quality of mine, like it's not a bad quality. It's just, it needed to be rediverted in a way that served me it, so that my actions and behaviors aimed in a direction of something I value, and part of that is stopping to identify what you value, which is again one of those things like parenting is kind. Of, the education around that is missing in the, you know, common structure of, of our society. Like, rarely are we asked to pause and and look downstream, mm-hmm. to, uh, identify. Where do you want thing, you know, how do you want this all to shape out? What kind of, you know, forecasting? We do it in business all the time. You know, if you run a company and a company will have regular meetings, it'll be like, okay, last year we did 10 million in sales. Our goal this year is 12 million. Okay. So these are the things we're going to do to it. It's like, there's a process, but with our personal lives, whether it's based on our physical health around it or our spiritual health, emotional health, whatever, who's Who's facilitating the space and the structure for us to identify where the goalpost is? Not, and not necessarily to be attached to getting there, but at least to have some kind of guiding light. Um, and I think religion served a huge part of that for a lot of people for a lot of years. And it seems like that is dwindling substantially in society. And we just don't have the structures that are making space for us to say, what are the values that you know, what are the principles, whatever that you value, yeah. um, so that you have something to base it on.
0: Well, sure. And and I'm firmly of the belief that if we don't sit down and intentionally decide what are what what are the principles by which I'm going to live my life and like write them down, then we just go with whatever we inherit and whatever we inherit comes from our upbringing. It comes from media, it comes from other people. And there's no way to just throw all that in and have it wind up being remotely close to harmonious. You know, it always winds up with conflicting beliefs and, and that sort of stuff, unless we sit down and intentionally say, okay, this is, this is what I value. This is what I believe. And I want to make sure that I embody this in such a way, uh, you know, speaking as a dad, that I am the man that I'm describing here so that my son sees that rather than it be a do as I say, not as I do sort of situation. Um
1: yeah, it makes it makes so much sense. I mean I it makes such a difference when you pause and have that attention on that. I mean I not long ago I had a argument with a sibling and we have a history of you know poor communication and you know, my intention, my initial reaction was to, to react, um, and you know, I'm thinking this, and I want to say this, and to be able to stop and say, "What do I want to? How do I want to show up in the world as a brother?" You know, right? And think of those qualities or those principles. Like, well, I want to be. How do I want to be known as a brother? I want to be known as someone that's reliable and someone that's caring and loving. So, how would somebody that is reliable and caring and loving, respond. And the difference in the text message you form (laughs) by taking that 90 (laughs) seconds to go through that process is is night and day.
0: Definitely, definitely. And, Um, and,
1: And also like there's been times where I've been meditating at night and I'll think of something that I said to my child that day. And I'm like, why did I say it that way? Like, I don't want to be I want to know myself as a father that would have said it this way. And it's the and it it's what inspires me to walk down the hall before I go to bed and say, hey, I just want to say I'm sorry about earlier today when I said this, you know, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I meant this.
0: Uh, Um, a, A practice that I picked up on, I don't do it every single day, but I do it more often than I don't when I'm doing bedtime with my son as we're winding down and he's, you know, starting to, to get sleepy and stuff, I will ask him, is there anything that happened today that I did or said that you feel like I should apologize for?
1: Oh, interesting.
0: And more often than not, he'll tell me no. Um, sometimes he will, he'll call me out on something and, um, it happened last night. I, um, um, shoulder was still hurting. I was a little on edge and we were, trying to get him to bed to brush his teeth. And um, he was playing with a toy. And, and I said, I want you to stop playing with that toy. I want you to brush your teeth and you can play with the toy again. And he didn't. And so I moved the toy out of the way and handed him the toothbrush. He got upset with me about this. And I'm like, you know what? I didn't handle that well. And it it wasn't what I did so much as the way that I approached it. You know, I was clearly frustrated and I was clearly um, experiencing some discomfort of something that had nothing to do with him, but he received some of it, and I'm like, "You're right. I should have handled that differently. I'm sorry." Um, and so there that's it is, great right? Practice. Well, that, and and that's it, beautiful, man. Well, thank you, thank you. And and that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, where where I'm saying, "How can I leave him better off?" And like very often, my mistake, and me owning that mistake and correcting it, and or or just acknowledging it, and. And everything that goes along with that is, is the biggest thing that I can do. Um, you said something earlier that reminded me of a story that I've told for years. I don't think I made this story up. I don't think that it's originally mine, but I'm not sure where it came from. So there's the caveat, right? Um, all too often, we we go through this sort of thing. And if we imagine a bird's egg, right? And there's a little baby bird inside there growing and that egg is protecting it as it develops. One day it's going to bust out of that egg and then it's going to get a little bit stronger and a little bit more capable of fending for itself. And then eventually it's going to leave the nest and, you know, learn to fly and do bird things, right? That egg that protected it when it was in formation was vital. It would have died without it. But if that bird insists on carrying every fragment of that eggshell with it everywhere it goes throughout its adult life, it's going to get eaten by a snake or a cat because it won't be able to fly. It'll be too too concerned to hold on to the to the egg that protected it once that it won't be cognizant of the of the present very real danger or the the situation that, that it needs to be focused on. And so, um, I've asked this question many times: like, what eggshells are we still carrying that just? stuff that helped us, that, that were absolutely necessary for our survival way back so much so that we've accepted that as that's a personality trait of mine, but does it serve me? Is it an eggshell? And if it's not, how can I get rid of it? So I appreciate you, you bringing that up and triggering that, that, uh, that story for me.
1: Yeah, I'm sure we all have some, and, um, I I don't think there's a finish line to that process of discovering them.
0: No. Um, I'm looking at what time it is and I'm thinking it's probably a good time for us to move into the uh the lightning round. So what I like to do is oh, I've got the a There's li- a lightning round. I just I've <laughs> okay. got a, I just I've got a list of questions here I'll throw them out. You give me the first answer that comes to mind and we'll move on. Okay. Sound good? Sound good? I'll give my best. Um what is one useless talent that you have?
1: Hmm. One useless talent. I I could kind of do an ollie on a skateboard. Nice.
0: Nice. Um what is one personal mantra or belief that you want to make sure you get that it gets passed on to your kids?
1: I am enough. Favorite holiday? Thanksgiving.
0: David Lee Roth or Sammy
1: Hagar? <laughs> um <laughs> I'm going to piss you off, but those names don't mean much to me. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Um, Different era I, of music.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um. Those are the, those are the two main guys that sang for the band Van Halen. And I'm a big Van Halen fan. So I always like to throw that one out there. I asked someone that the other day and he said, James Hetfield, because you know, the guy from Metallica. And I'm like, fair enough. Okay. Um. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Ooh. It would probably be a good good ribeye if it was um if i wanted to be healthy i'd probably go that way if it was just pleasure probably pizza it's a tough tough one yeah probably probably
0: ribeye ribeye yeah and finally what's the most valuable piece of advice you've ever received
1: you're already enough for being here just the fact that you're here
0: Excellent. Well, I do appreciate you being on the show. Um, once again, if people want to get in contact with you, they go to the mindfulmovement.com and you also have the mindful movement podcast. And that podcast is available across all the platforms, correct?
1: Yeah, the mindful movement podcast. Um, what I do on, on there is once a week, usually. So we have um, the mindful movement YouTube channel, our primary channel, which is mostly my wife's guided my meditations. And then on the podcast, I do interviews. And then once a week, I'll post one of her old meditations on the podcast also um, for people that like to listen to them there. But uh, a lot of meditations to listen to. I mean, there's, I think we're coming up on 500. Nice. There's a lot of content there. We've been doing them basically weekly since 2016. And I've been doing interviews for a few years. And uh, also the mindfulmovement.com, I assume, has links to everything there and uh, and if you're ever in maryland hit me up and um, we can meet at the gym in in real life i i train with folks in person uh, that's what i enjoy doing sounds good i want to say thank you for having me on man i um i'm excited for this new endeavor for you and i'm honored to be one of your early guests i really appreciate the conversation i've enjoyed our time together
0: well i appreciate you being on i appreciate the wisdom you've shared and the stories that you've selfishly i appreciate some of the guidance that you've given me on getting the podcast up off the ground because you are way farther down the road than that uh, than me in that and um it's it's a gift i appreciate you very much
1: it's my pleasure man
0: all right that's it for today um we'll see you guys next time